Hey, good to see you today. Uh, we're going to have a good time. I'm looking forward to sharing the Word of God with you. As, as I was looking at what I'm teaching today, I thought, man, I, I'm just, God is teaching this to me, and I can't wait to teach it to you and allow Him to teach it into your hearts as well. So I'm excited about this today, and I hope to be done by 5 o'clock. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we'll have a good time here. Before we open the Word of God, though, this morning, I just want to draw your attention to a couple things. One, in your worship program, there's a beautiful color insert from Options Pregnancy Center. Because today, throughout our country, is uh, Sanctity of Life Sunday. A time where we remember that life is sacred, that life is a gift from God. And it's also a time for us to focus on this ministry in our town. Options Pregnancy Center helps people who come to them with unplanned pregnancy saying, what do we do? And they give ultrasounds and they show human life and they talk from a biblical perspective on what life is. And uh, they give love and encouragement. And so as you consider Options Pregnancy Center, I know that some of you have served and given to that ministry. And maybe God's calling you today to bless that ministry, to start praying for them, whatever that might be. But I wanted to draw that to your attention today as we think of Sanctity of Life Sunday. And then I think of what tomorrow is. Some of you get tomorrow off of work. Some people aren't here because of an extra long weekend. And they're uh, having a good time. But tomorrow, Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And so it is a day, and it's given the name centered around one man, Martin Luther King Jr. But I'd like us to consider what's behind that. What is behind that is this idea that there are rights for all people, regardless of color of skin, regardless of ethnicity, that God has a value on every single person. I think sometimes we forget that. And uh, I would hope that tomorrow, whether you're working or not, or have school or not, whatever that is, that you would remember that God has a value on your life. And God has a value on the lives of those around you, regardless of their skin color, regardless of where they came from, because God is good, and He's a creator, and He says, I created your life. And so because of that, there is a sacredness or a sanctity of all life. And so I, I just thought, let's start with a word of prayer again one more time and pray a blessing over Options Pregnancy Center and that God would just grow our hearts uh, for all mankind. Would you pray with me one more time? Heavenly Father, do you want to thank you that throughout our nation today there is this day where we remember that life came from you. Uh, it certainly has its roots in Supreme Court decisions that were made years ago. But as we look into your word, we understand that you created life, you created us, and because of that, we have value. And God, I ask a prayer on Options Pregnancy Center that has been in our community since 1986. Would you continue to strengthen them and provide for them? Would you help them to be a light to so many people uh, that they would see the value of life? And I thank you for people like Martin Luther King Jr. who stood for rights of all people. And God, would you help us to do that? That you would help us to stand up for rights of all people because every single person matters to you. And so God, as we have that day tomorrow to rest or whatever that is, that you would remind us that you value life. And so we thank you for valuing ours, for being with us today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. <clears throat> Two weeks ago, we started a series entitled Following His Steps. 
And I picked this picture of snow because I was hoping for snow. And I think it was that very first Sunday we had a little freezing rain. Since then, I haven't seen it at all. I'm hoping we get just... I like the occasional snow day here. But anyway, the idea of following in the steps is that we are following in the steps of Jesus. It's a great way to start off our year. And so we're spending the month of January just, what does it mean to follow in the steps of Jesus? What it does not mean is that if I just take the steps he took, that all of a sudden then God might be pleased with me. It's not that. We have to get to a point where we say, God, I realize I've sinned against you. God, I realize that you sent your son to pay for my sins. I believe that. I need that forgiveness applied to my life. And when you have done that, then you become a Christian or a follower of Jesus. At that point, you say, I will follow you all the days of my life. And he knows that we will fail in our followings. Every once in a while, we'll look at those steps and go, nope, I want to go my own way. Even that, he understands and he forgives But we want to look at this idea of following in the steps of Jesus. A couple questions that are in your notes I want to uh, continue to put in the forefront of your mind. One, how can I make my life count? When we consider following in the steps of Jesus, how do I make my life count now and for all eternity? It happens by following in the steps of Jesus. And then secondly, we're looking at this question, what is God calling each of us to? What is God calling you to? What is he calling us as a church to? What is he calling Christians to in general? But how is he calling you? Because Jesus did not just go to the cross to be your Savior, to save you of your sins, but he went to be your Lord as well. And he says, yes, I'll pay for your sins, but I'm also your master. And when I say follow, you say, yes, sir. And so we're looking at this idea of what is God calling each of us to. Hope you have your Bibles with you. If not, use the one sitting in front of you because I want us to look at a couple passages today. So have your Bibles or break it out on your iPad or whatever that is. Let's start in Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13, page 1009 if you are using this Bible sitting in front of you. As you're turning there, again, I'll remind you of where we're getting this idea of following his steps comes from a letter that St. Peter, who was a follower of Jesus, he writes a letter to a church like us, a church, though, that was going through religious persecution along with all the other sufferings of life. And he says to them this. Let's look at this on the screen. And would you read it passionately with me, please? Let's begin. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He said, in this, in this world, I know that you are facing suffering. He's talking to people facing religious persecution. He goes, I know your bodies are falling apart and your relationships are falling apart and you don't have enough money and you're going through all those t- types of trials. But I want you to know that Christ suffered for you. And he did that so that you would follow him. So that you would follow him. So a couple weeks ago, we looked at this idea that I'm called to a life of suffering Called to a life of suffering. I want you to consider that. We looked at this two weeks ago. Not that life is supposed to be miserable. I mean, when we hear suffering, we're just like, oh. We were moving my mom yesterday from one place to another, and there was some suffering involved. Carrying heavy furniture, you know, back is suffering, our arms are suffering, things like that. But it's not that we're supposed to walk miserably and just like, oh, the life of Jesus is miserable. No, on the contrary, 
We're called to a life of suffering and we are to embrace it. Because as we embrace suffering, God is growing our faith. He's growing our character. And he says, there are going to be times where I'm going to allow you to go through extreme suffering. But I'm doing it actually for your good. I'm going to allow you to experience this for your good, that your faith would grow. So that you would understand, I can handle this suffering with joy and with patience. And I can grow in faithfulness as I draw near to Jesus. Then last week we looked at this idea that I'm called to a life of sacrifice. I'm called to a life of sacrifice. We looked at Jesus as he's getting ready to go to the cross in Matthew chapter 26. The idea of sacrifice in Jesus' eyes, he's going to the cross. He's going to be crucified by the Romans. The most torturous form of death that they can envision for people that, that are criminals. So they're going to crucify him. He's also going to take on the sins of the world. Can't envision that. Jesus is about to sacrifice, and he cries out, God, is there another way we can do this? Heavenly Father, any other way. But what drives Jesus to continue to go to the cross? Not my will, but yours, Father. Not my choice, but whatever you say. And so this sacrifice, it is driven by an obedience to God. And so you're called to a life of sacrifice, to give up things and to uh, pay a price. When God calls you to follow him. Well, today I want to look at this idea that I'm called to a life of contentment. Would you write this down? I want us to consider this idea today. That I'm called to a life of contentment. Jesus' follower is called to a life of contentment. Let me define that word and we'll define it as this. It's in your notes. Let's put it this way. My soul being at rest, knowing that God is my treasure that he is my comfort, that he is my joy, and that he is my security. Consider this. My soul being at rest in the Barca lounger, just my soul being at rest knowing that God is my treasure, that he is my comfort, he is my joy, he is my security. I would ask you to consider your own soul right now. Have you been at rest? Today, are you at rest? As you think about next week, are you at rest? Because the problem that many of us have is there, there are problems going on. You're saying, well, how do I know? Check your heart. Is your heart racing? Does your heart physically hurt? Is your mind racing? Are you obsessed with imaginary conversations, whatever that might be? Okay. Are you having sleepless nights? Things like that. Those are signs of a soul that is not at rest. But contentment says there is a soul that can be at rest when we see that God is my treasure and my comfort and my joy and my security. I want us to start in Hebrews chapter 13 today. Let's look there. Follow along as I read a couple verses to you. Hebrews chapter 13. Ready? Verse 5. This is where I want you to look. The writer of Hebrews says this, Keep your life free from the love of money, and be content with what you have. For he, that is God, has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? I want to look at those two verses today and explain some of that to you. But before I do that, I want to take a look back at our history. Let's just consider our own history for a little bit. Why would the writer of the book of Hebrews write this to Jesus' followers? 
Because their history is our history. If we take our history and go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, the very first book of the Bible, the very third chapter of the Bible, we see that Adam and Eve are in the garden. It is good. God says, I've created all this. Enjoy it. Just this plush garden. It's like Sierra Leone without any brokenness. You'll have to go there someday. Or watch our pictures when we come back. Okay? They're in this beautiful garden. He says, everything's good. You get to talk to me. We're just going to have a great time. It's so good that it says they were naked and they knew no shame. All right? So here they are just walking around in the garden. It's like, this is just paradise. Paradise. But there's a problem. Adam and Eve in this garden, they wanted more than what God had offered to them. In essence, they were saying, God, you are not enough for us. Because though you have given us all this and you said don't eat from that tree, that's the one we want. God, it is not enough that we get to talk with you and have this full garden with animals and plants and food. We want that. Are you holding out on us, God? Isn't that really our story? God says, I I desire to be your treasure and your comfort, and your joy, and security. And I've given you all of these things. And you say, but God, I want more. I want more. Think about this, uh, those of you with your kids and grandkids. You say you can do this, and this, and this, and this, and this. Don't do this. And what do the kids want? They want that, right? And you've been the kid. You, you've been there. You want that. The one thing you can't have. As if somebody, mom, dad, you're holding out on me. I want what you're telling me I can't have. Our history is really Adam and Eve's story. Just saying, God, we don't think you're enough for us. One of those songs we sang this morning was simply that. God... We're saying by faith you are enough. We, we battle and we struggle and, and so many times say you're not enough. I need more. But it's our prayers we gather here and say, God, you, you are enough. I came up with some places that I'll call battlefields for us where we struggle with contentment. Let me just offer you three of them real quickly. One would be with our possessions. One would be with our possessions where we struggle with contentment because you and I, we say things like, I want more, I want more. If you have some money, how much do you want? You want more money. If you have some possessions, how much do you want? You want more possessions, all right? I don't know why, but I think we're kind of collectors at times. And we're just thinking, if I just collect one more of those, then everything's going to be good in my life and I'll be happy. And we start saying, if I just have one more, that's my treasure, that's my comfort, that's my joy, that's my security. And God is saying, that's not a soul that is at rest. A soul that is rest at rest says, God, you're my treasure, you're my comfort, you're my joy, you're my security. In the last couple of weeks, I've heard a lot of conversations about Powerball, okay? All right? You've probably been a part of those, right? Been talking about this. And you're just thinking, Oh, if I could ever win that. Well, maybe not me because it causes so many problems. But one of my close relatives, let their life be ruined. I just want some of that money, right? I mean, so we've been talking about Powerball. Oh, man, that would be great. That would be great because then I could have more and more and more. And... But you, you know that causes headaches, right? That, 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 
And we start thinking, but if I had 1.5 billion, just think of how many treasures I would have and how much comfort I could have and how much joy I could have and how much security I could have. And I would tell you, you would have some of those things for a little bit of time, but you would not have contentment. You would not, in essence, be having what you can find when you follow Jesus, that your treasure and your comfort and your joy and your security can be found in God in so much of a greater way than $1.5 billion. How do I know that? Because of Christmas every year, all right? Christmas every year. This is one of the reasons we try to do Christmas a little differently. We say, do we really have to spend so much? Because here's what happens, and we've all done this probably one way or another, Christmas, and we just spend and we spend and we spend. And some of you have put that on a credit card and max that one out and then max this one out and max this one out, and then you put them all under the tree and people love them for a few minutes and then they get lost or broken or used up. What happens is we get to January 17th, like today, we get the credit card bill in the mail and we go, oh, oh. The stuff's already gone or broken or lost or whatever. And then what sets in over the next month is depression. It's like, wait a second. Where's my treasure? Where's my comfort? Where's my joy? Where's my security? Is it in possessions? No. Second thing, I think uh, another battlefield for us is with positions. Sometimes we think, if I just have a better job, if I just have better pay... If I have more power, less responsibility, better people to work with, whatever it is, the grass is greener on the other side of the fence, right? Though somebody told me this week that the grass is greener over the septic tank. That probably makes sense. But we start thinking in terms of position. If I, God, if you would just move and let me have this, then all of a sudden everything is going to be fine. And I think he's asking us, where's your treasure? Where's your comfort? Where's your joy? Where's your security? Is it in that next job or is it in me? I think one more area we struggle with this is with our physical condition. Our physical condition. You and I, we want less pain, right? We want less fat. I want more hair, all right? I watch TV every once in a while and see these people and their hair looks so nice. I'm just like, God, if I had a full head of hair like that, wow. I mean, I'd just treasure that. I'd find so much comfort in that. I'd have so much joy, wouldn't I? I mean, just security walking around going, look at my head of hair. Seriously? That's a uh, a soul that is not at rest. So Jesus says, follow in my steps, follow my steps. Go back to Hebrews chapter 13. Let me reread this to you. Knowing some of our history, knowing some of our battlefields, let's reread this. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. The writer says, Keep your life free from the love of money. I know your history. And be content. If you're an underliner or you like to circle things, highlight that one right there. Be content with what you have. For he, that is God, has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can say confidently, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Let's write this down if you're taking notes. The words, be content. Be content with what you have. Be a soul that is at rest with what you have, knowing that God is your treasure, that God is your comfort, that God is your joy, that God is your security. 
Be content with what you have. Why? Look what it says there in verse 5. Be content with what you have because God has said, I will never leave you. Here's our problem. We start saying, okay, i got to build up these treasures because I just don't, I don't know what's coming. i, I got to have comfort because I'm not sure what's coming. i got to have joy. I don't know. What, i got to have all this security. And the writer of Hebrews says, I just want you to know, God has already said to you, I will never leave you. What more security do you want than that? I will never forsake you. What more comfort do you want than that? He's reciting an old book, Deuteronomy chapter 31, saying, I just want you to know this about God. You can keep your lives free from the love of money. You can be t- content because God has said, because your money you think is going to be security. God has said your security is in the fact that he will never leave you nor forsake you. Which means then, he's enough. God is enough. That's a faith statement. God, are you enough? Man, we struggle with that. You, you might believe that right now. As soon as we walk out the doors today, we're going to be bombarded with stuff. And you're going to, is God really enough to be my treasure, my comfort, my joy, my security? I've listed some passages in the, the notes there for you. And I would hope you'd look those up this week on your own, with your family, with your community group, whatever that is. Just read some of those passages. And you're going to go, wow, that's powerful. That's Proverbs 30 in your notes right there. I told my family this week, this is the reason I'm not buying a Powerball ticket. Okay? So I didn't buy one. I know some of you did. I'm fine with that. Okay? No big deal there. But I said, I'm not buying a ticket. I don't want a chance to win. Because in Proverbs 30, the wise saying is this, God, don't let me get too rich. Because if I get too rich, I won't need you. That's not a good place to be. You're going to have $1.5 billion or whatever it is, and you're going to say, man, I got it made. I got these treasures, and I got this comfort and joy and security. And if you do that, you have no need for God. And that's a poor place to be. Anyway, those passages you read, those, I can preach a message on each one of those. I won't today. The idea is money has to do with a massive heart issue, contentment. There's a massive heart issue going on. Because in the Bible, money is talked about more than faith, more than prayer, more than heaven and hell combined. God speaks to this. Jesus speaks to this because he says, this is a massive heart issue for all of us. I know your history. You see all the good things and you want the thing that you can't have. So here's what I want to do. I want to share with you four points about contentment. Four points on contentment with you. First one is this. Contentment is a discipline to be learned. Would you write this down? Let's consider this for a moment. Contentment is a discipline to be learned. You think of disciplines like reading your Bible, that's a good one, and praying, that's a good one, and showing up to church and worshiping, that's a good one. But contentment is a discipline, a discipline to be learned. Look at this passage, if you would, in Philippians chapter 4. We'll put it on the screen here. Just write this passage down. The Apostle Paul says this, I have learned, learned, in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. 
In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him, that is Jesus, who strengthens me. He says, I've been up here where I've been treated well, and I've been down here where I've been treated poorly. I think if anybody could have handled Powerball, Paul probably could have. Because he says, I found the secret of being content. And it's this fact that Jesus strengthens me. He strengthens me to know he's my treasure. He's my comfort. He's my joy. He's my security. He strengthens my inner person to know that deep down. And so I can enjoy a nice relaxing vacation. I can enjoy a good meal. I can enjoy a little extra money at times. But Jesus strengthens me to be content even in the toughest situations. One of our elders this week was telling me, as we were talking, he said, "Um, I've just been discouraged lately. And he says, I've been wrestling with discontentment. I want more. And as he started, he just started quoting this verse right here. He just says, I'm learning, I'm learning, I'm learning, I'm learning, I'm learning the secret of being content. And it is that Jesus will strengthen me. He will strengthen me. I'm thinking, here's one of the godly men in our church who's walked with Jesus a long time. And he still says, every once in a while as I'm following Jesus, I just get content, discontent and go, And yet, I am learning, I'm learning this secret of contentment. Secondly, I want to say this, that contentment, contentment involves remembering. Think about this, if you would. Contentment involves remembering. Now, where are you finding rest for your soul? Where? Who's providing for your treasure? Who's providing your comfort? Who's providing your joy? Who's providing your security? Does it come from God? Does it come from God? Ask yourself these questions. It's going to take reflection. It's going to take some remembrance to find out where your treasure and comfort and joy and security are coming from. I want you to take your Bibles, if you would, and go to the fifth book of the Bible, way at the front, Deuteronomy chapter 6. We're going to finish our time in the book of Deuteronomy today. Kind of a weird name. It means it's the second giving of the law. Moses is writing this. If you want to follow along, we're going to be on page 151. Page 151, Deuteronomy chapter 6. While you're turning there, just let me tell you the story of where this comes from. Moses has been leading the people of Israel for 40 years. He's been leading them wandering through a desert. They're about ready to enter their own land where for the first time in generations, they are going to get to have their own homes. They're going to get to do whatever they want. And they'll eat whatever they want because they had been wandering for 40 years. Before that, their people had been slaves for 400 years. God had rescued them out. And Moses says, you're about ready to have your own possessions. You ready for this? You're about ready to live like the people in the Willamette Valley in the year 2016. You're going to be able to get to do what you want. So Moses says, let me share with you a few things. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 10. Follow along as I read this. Moses says, And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give you, with great and good cities that you did not build, notice that, and houses full of good things that you did not feel, 
and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, there's going to be a time when you're just going to go, oh, man, more than manna? Woo, this is good. He says, verse 12, watch this. Verse 12, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You see, a key to contentment is you remembering where you've been. Moses says to people like you and me, he says, you're going to own your own homes and you're going to own your own cars and you're going to have jobs and do things like this. And the problem is you're going to get fat and lazy and forget where you've been if you're not careful here. You need to be remembering that God has rescued you. In 2016, what, what, what have we been rescued from? You write this passage down, Colossians 1, 13. Colossians 1.13, it says, For God rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves. God has done that for us. He's rescued us. Don't forget it, because if you forget it, you won't be content. Your soul will be full of unrest. And so a key to contentment is remembering God's goodness in your life. Remembering, you know what? God, God is my treasure. He rescued me. God is my comfort. He rescued me. God is my joy. He rescued me. God is my security. He brought me into the kingdom of the Son. He loves. And it takes remembering. I also want to say this about contentment, that contentment involves giving thanks. Write this down if you would. Contentment involves giving thanks. Where are you finding rest for your soul again? In these possessions, in this position, in your physical condition, or in God? And if it comes from God, then give thanks to God. Now, if you sit there and go, you know what? All of these treasures, I created them. And all this comfort, I've made it for myself. And all of this joy and all this security, I did this. Then give thanks to yourself. You're a, you're a stud, okay? But if you can look back and go, no, 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 all this comes from God, then you give thanks to him. Let me show you Deuteronomy chapter 8. Turn over to two chapters, if you would. Deuteronomy chapter 8. Moses is still going on telling these people, I know you're about ready to enter your own land. You're about ready to have homes. You're about ready to have a lot of freedom. You're about ready to do a lot of things that you want to do that you haven't been able to do. Chapter 8, verse 7. Follow along as I read this. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks, of water, of fountains and springs, flowing out in the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley. It sounds like the Willamette Valley, doesn't it? of vines and fig trees and pomegranates. I don't know that that would have made my top ten, but, you know, they're probably thinking, man, that does sound good. A land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity. Woo! In which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. Verse 10, and you shall eat and be full, and it's going to happen. That's a good thing. Now watch this. And you shall bless or praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. 
The idea is there's going to be a time when your stomach is full and you get all these things. And I want you at that time to give praise to God. I want you to bless Him. I want you to give thanks to Him. And when you do that, that will cause you to be more content that God has provided for you and that He is good. You give Him thanks. Keep reading along if you would. It says, take care, He says, lest you forget the Lord by not keeping His commandments and His rules and His statutes, which I, which I command you today. Verse 12. Lest when you have eaten and are full, because it's going to happen, and have built good houses and live in them, and we get to do that, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied, here's the problem, then your heart will be lifted up, and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. He says, I want you to give thanks. Again, I want you to remember where all this comes from, and I want you to give thanks. And as you do this, it's going to grow your heart of contentment. Let me finish by saying this then. Contentment also involves giving of resources. Giving of resources. If you want to grow in contentment, there is something to be said about giving of your resources. Again, think of your treasures and your comfort and your joy and your security. Did it come from you? Did it, and you're like, you bet it did. I work hard for my money, so you better treat me right. I got that song stuck in my head, right? It's my money. I can do with it whatever I want, right? Remember. Well, where'd you get earning power? Where'd you get this ability? Where? You see, God asked his people early on, and he still does, to give away of our resources as an act of faith to remember that he's a provider. He says, I I want you to give away your resources. Now, some of you are like, oh, man, he's going to ask for money. Listen, I want to say this about money. I love now talking about money with this church group because I don't get nervous about it anymore. I used to years ago. I'm like, oh, it's so difficult. It's not difficult because here's what I know, that God is making you faithful givers. You guys give above and beyond. I was thinking about this today. God, if you give too much money, we're not going to need you. I mean, sometimes these people are way too good of givers at times. So I'm not saying this today to beat you down and say you need to give, but I just want to know, want you to know if you want to grow in contentment, part of this is you give away your resources. It's an act of faith. In the ancient world, it was right for a landowner, if he were to give out his land, he'd say, you can use it for a while. It was right for the landowner to say, I want you to give me 10% of what you produce there. You produce pomegranates, I want 10% of your pomegranates. You produce figs, I want 10% of your figs. It's just what the landowner had the right to do. I, I, I'm going to ask of you a tithe, a 10%. The landowner had the right to do that. <clears throat> so you're producing your crops, you're doing your things. Why? Because God has given you. He's given you a body to work. He's given you a mind to think. He's given you experiences. Whose money is this? A landowner has given you much already, hasn't he? If God truly is your treasure, if God is your comfort, if God is your joy, if God is your security, then giving away things to him and his purposes is not a problem. Think about this. God, you're my treasure. If I have nothing but you, I am so blessed. 
I can give you money. I can give you time. I can give you my energy. I can share with God's people because you're my treasure. In fact, God, you're the one who comforts me. It's not that I can give this away. And church, you do this. God, you're my joy, so I can give this stuff away. God, you're my security. Of course I can give this away because all of this is in you. But yet if you're a person, your soul is not at rest, you struggle with contentment, then you're saying, I just got to hoard this stuff. I got to keep my treasures. I don't want them out of my hands. They provide me comfort. They provide me joy. This is my security. It's not a heart that understands that everything we have belongs to the Lord, right? One last passage in Deuteronomy. Go over to chapter 26. Genesis, or Deuteronomy chapter 26. Deuteronomy 26. A few chapters down the road. Let me read this to you. Again, Moses is saying, I know there's going to be a day when you're going to have a home and land and you're going to make some money and things like that. You won't be wandering in a desert. You won't be slaves. Moses goes on and says this, Deuteronomy chapter 26, follow along as I start in verse 1. When you come into the land the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance and you've taken possession of it and live in it, when that happens... You shall take some of the first of all the fruit of the ground. First of all the fruit. Everything you produce, the first of that. Which you harvest from your land that the Lord your God has given you. And you shall put it in a basket. What are we going to do with this basket? And you shall go to the place the Lord your God will choose to make his name to dwell there. And you shall go to the priest who is in office at that time and say to him, I declare today to the Lord your God that I have come into the land that the Lord swore to our forefathers to give us. Then the priest shall take the basket from your hand and set it down before the altar of the Lord your God. Here's what he's saying. Let's just stop there for a second. He says this. You're going to take all of this and just as an act of remembrance, an act of giving thanks, this didn't come from you. It grew because God makes things grow and you got into this new land. God's just saying, you're going to give some of your first fruits to this priest as an offering to the Lord. Now watch this, verse 5. This, I love this. <clears throat> We're not going to start making you do this. I'm not going to, but I love the attitude behind it. Verse 5, and you shall make response before the Lord when you give your offering. This is what they said. You, you say this as you give your offering. A wandering Aramaean... Jacob, in essence, was my father. And he went down into Egypt and sojourned there, few in number, and there he became a nation, great, mighty, and populous. And the Egyptians treated us harshly and humiliated us and laid on us hard labor. Then we cried to the Lord, the God of our fathers, and the Lord heard our voice and saw our affliction, our toil, and our oppression. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with great deeds of terror, with signs and wonders. And he brought us into this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And behold now, I bring the first of the fruit of the ground which you, O Lord, have given to me. Isn't that a beautiful way to give an offering? I mean, could you imagine every time we go to the joy box? My father was a wonder in Aramean, and you just lay out your whole history. Now I have been rescued from the dominion of darkness, brought into the kingdom of the son he loves. And because of that, God, I give you my money, my time, my energy, my possessions. I just want to give it back to you. Because, God, I wouldn't have anything without you. 
It goes on to say, and you shall set it before the Lord your God and worship before the Lord your God, and you shall rejoice. I don't know if you think of giving offerings or sharing or things where you opportunities to rejoice. You shall rejoice in all the good that the Lord your God has given to you and to your house, you and the Levite and the sojourner who's among you. I just love that passage. There's something in here about giving offerings. And I'm not saying that today because we're behind in offerings. We're not. You guys have been giving faithfully. I, I didn't bring this up so that you, to put guilt on you at anything like that. You hear us use the word tithe every once in a while, 10%. Some of you give that. Some of you give more than that. I don't know what anybody gives in this church except the Scott Miller family. But what happens is we are starting to see, God, I don't provide for myself. You provide for me. God, I can be a soul at rest. I can be content because you are my treasure. And you are my comfort, and you are my joy, and you are my security. And what I would hope for all of us is that we would grow in contentment and go, everything comes from God. I only have because God has been good to me. You see, you are obedient to the work of the Lord, and I appreciate that. Again, I don't know what you give, but... Our needs are met around here, and we get to do things in our community and around the world. I was just thinking, we're going to write a check to options to bless them in light of uh, um, Sanctity of Life Sunday. But we can do that because you first give to us. You see, you're people of faith, and you understand and are growing in your understanding that you have because God gave. Right? Whatever you have. It's not just because you worked hard and earned it. You, you've done some of that. But that ability, that strength, that knowledge, all of that, you have because God gave. Now, a soul that is discontent, that soul is not at rest. That soul cannot give. That soul says, over here are my treasures and my comfort and my joy and my security. I'm not giving any of this away. But a soul that is content, a soul that is at rest says, God You're my treasure. You're my comfort, my joy, my security. Of course I can give time, energy, resources, whatever that might be. So the question we've asked the last two weeks, and I want to ask it again, is how did this path turn out for the Son of God? Because if you're following in his steps, you kind of not want to know, where is this going to end up? Because if I give 10%, and if I give my time and energy, where is it going to turn out for me? How is this going to work out? I mean, I'm doing my budget, and it's like, I don't know if this will work out. How did it work for Jesus, a life of contentment, a life of giving? How did it work out? Well, it led to a cross. Okay, Leads to a bloody cross. Leads to much discomfort for a while. Jesus walks around and says, you know what? The Son of Man doesn't even have a place to lay his head sometimes. Okay, I mean, I don't have nice homes. How did it turn out for him? There's some ugliness to his life. And and there is some ugliness. There's some sacrifice. There's some, oh, this doesn't look real good. But where does it end up for Jesus? Is he dead today? No. Are his bones decaying in some tomb? No. He's been raised to life. He's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He's the Lord of lords. He's the King of kings. He is today and will be for all eternity. How does it turn out for him? Pretty good. Glory upon glory. And he says, if you follow in my steps and you learn contentment, and if you learn that God 
is your treasure and your comfort and your joy and security. I'll tell you, there's glory upon glory upon glory upon glory. One passage, it says this, for the joy set before him, he, he endured the cross. He goes to the cross, he endures it, but he had joy in the process. How? Because the Father's treasure, his comfort, his joy. I'm, not, I'm telling you right now, life is tough following Jesus. There are some tough steps. There's some sacrifice. You compare your life to your neighbors or people you work with, your life at times will stink. But I'll tell you, for the follower of Jesus, there will be glory upon glory upon glory. And sometimes we'll get to see it, but by faith we know we will receive it. I want to finish with a prayer of blessing over you. And I want you to write this down because I want these words to sink in. My prayer is may you come to see and know that Christ is enough. This is what I want for us. I would want you to see this. I would want you to know this deep down in your bones that Jesus Christ is enough. He is your treasure. He is your comfort. He is your joy. He is your security. And then may your soul find rest in him. This is what contentment does. When the steps are tough, that you would find rest for your soul. Now and for all eternity. It's difficult at times, but it's the best, it's the best path to follow. Best path to follow. I'm going to ask that you just close your eyes with me for a bit and just reflect for a moment. Ask yourself simply this, where's your treasure? Is it the bank account? Is it the possession? Is it the position that you hold? Is it your physical condition? Or is it God? What's your comfort come from? Where's your joy come from? What's your security And I'll tell you that you can be a soul at rest if you find these things in Jesus. And I know many of you in this room, you are believers in Jesus Christ. You need to, as I need to, we need to learn and grow in contentment. And just ask, Lord, teach me that you are enough. Maybe you're here today and you say, okay, I'll follow Jesus. Well, before you follow him, you need to trust him. You need to trust that he loves you, that he took this path to the cross to pay for your sins, to make you right with the Heavenly Father, to cover all of your sins. And when you say, Jesus, I need you and I believe in you, he says, then I will enter your life. I will change you. I will grow you. I will strengthen you so that you can follow in my steps. And what you will find are treasures in me and comfort and joy and security. Heavenly Father, I confess that I look too often to the world and its possessions for those things. And because of that, my soul gets restless. I I become discontent. But again today, I look and realize that you are the way, the truth, and the life. You are the best life possible. And so would you help me, would you help my brothers and sisters to look to you, 
follow in your steps? And would you show us that you are enough? We pray this in your name, Jesus.